Hello, welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M. This is volume 13, issue number 52, the last of the year, which corresponds with December 11th, 2023. This week, we're going to talk about 13 years. Part two, we're going to get a little bit into music. And then part three, we're going to talk about winter. The free thoughts. Quote, a man who is good enough to shed his blood for the country is good enough to be given a square deal afterwards, end quote. Theodore Roosevelt. And the health care that they receive should be second to none, as far as I'm concerned. So all the gentlemen and ladies who give their time, blood, sweat, and tears for the United States military should have the best health care on the planet, no question. That is my opinion. I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> okay. 13 years are in the books. I've been doing this newsletter consistently for 13 years, and I tell you, it is very fun. I love, love, love the process of going out, finding information, learning it, reading about it, sharing it. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating no piece of knowledge that when I was young, I hated reading uh, up until my med school days when I started to learn to enjoy reading. And then yet now, as I've aged, it turns out that that's one of the main focuses of my life is to read and write, the two things I was least good at when I was young. Actually thought I was terrible at it. And I think that, again, is one of these things in life that if we believe that what we're good at is all we're ever going to be good at, we're holding ourselves back. And the ability to change on the dime process new information, learn, even though it's hard. And it was really hard to learn how to be a good reader and learn how to be a proficient writer. It was hard. I remember being at Vassar College and taking expository writing as a junior with upper level students who were in English majors and other humanities majors and how embarrassing it was to read my pieces after or before they read theirs. Let me tell you, it was humbling. But that process, regardless of how hard it was mentally to do, is the reason that I actually learned, as Matthew McConaughey calls red lights to green lights, that was a massive moment for me to learn that I am capable. Now, still never felt like I was good at it, but at least I was capable of conceiving of an ability to be able to take knowledge and write it down in a way that somebody else would enjoy. And fast forward now, 13 years of writing in the books, and I can look back and say that probably was a pretty pivotal moment in my life that I challenged myself to take writing at a really hard school against the best of the best and feel like an absolute idiot, but come out of that learning. So I encourage you to look at that with your kids, that there is stuff they may not be doing right now, they may hate, but give them time. They'll find their way. As long as they're curious and have desire, they'll find their way. So what have I learned over the last 13 years? One, medicine is an onion peel that never ends. We keep learning and evolving into newer and more mature ways to understand the physiology of the human body and balance in all things human. When in balance, disease is in general stymied. When not in balance disease has a chance to start and flourish. 
And when we remain in balance, disease propagates in perpetuum. After interviewing 68 guests, one common theme has arisen, that we have a layer of control to prevent disease and strife that is huge when young and gets smaller and less nimble as we age. Thus, prevention remains the best source of therapy for our species to overcome the current negative trajectory of human health. And let me tell you, we are on a significantly negative trajectory. Starting at the individual level appears to be the best answer as the collective, especially in government, is not aligned with our health. When many of the most wealthy companies are insurers, hospitals, and pharmaceutical companies, we have our incentives upside down. The wealth should pour into companies that prevent illness, not treat it. But alas, we're there now, so we must go grassroots up. If we take care of ourselves, the companies that profit off of our disease will die out. That would be great. And I don't mean that ill will towards companies that are working to help us through drugs and stuff. But I don't mean that to be the route that I would like us to spend our money on. We don't need drugs as the answer to human health. We need prevention and then have the drugs for those who cannot, or unfortunately for some reason do not, take care of themselves. Two, hosting a podcast can really open your mind to a convoluted web of knowledge that was more opaque before one has the exposure of disparate views of the same question or questions. That has been a really lovely revelation for me, and hopefully you guys, the listener, as well. This is value-add way of seeing all things in life. The more opinions and thoughts surrounding a question that are sought and acquired, the easier the resolution or understanding of a problem. The laws of physics are usually immutable. The laws of medicine and biology, not so much. Evolution and change are the norm in a world with a volatile exposome. The PhD scientist remains a shining light in the darkness of disease progression, as they are always looking for answers regardless of the why. I love the PhD scientist. Not that I don't love my MD brethren, or PharmDs, or naturopathic doctors. Love everybody. But the PhD is rising high in the world right now because they're the ones really pushing the envelope at the bench to help us in the clinical space make better decisions. Three, life is short and well worth being all in on. Derek Siver's book, which I love and you know I do, Hell Yeah or No, is on point. Whether there's a new project, a podcast, guest, or a topic, being all in is so much more fun than being halfway in and rewarding in this case. I have been all in on this podcast for over two years, and now I'm all in on this new clinically integrated network called Children First of North Carolina. And I find that I love the world that comes out of that. Neither of these entities give me any financial revenue in general, but both are incredibly rewarding. And isn't that what life's all about? Now, granted, we still need to put food on the table, so I do have my day job seeing patients, but boy, is it a blast to be able to do things that are different, that you can be all in on. And this has been great. So be all in on what you love, and life satisfaction will eventually meet you in a happy place. Teach that to your kids. Four, I do not think that medicine is heading in the right direction. You would not be surprised by that statement, I am sure. It is clear to me that corporations and money remain at the center of the medical experience. My career has now spanned 27 years since I graduated from medical school, and we are not better off as a medical society 
or as a patient population of care receivers. We have medical societies now that are rubber stamping ideology that to me is not in keeping with full Hippocratic Oath, as we saw with the COVID pandemic and many other things. We have a major problem that is getting worse in the past 13 years since I've been doing this. And I think COVID really did accelerate our knowledge around how much worse is getting. Protocolization, the lack of desire to listen to others' ideologies or others' possible belief systems about medicine. You know, the canceling of people's careers. It's crazy. We are ever moving towards protocols of care, non-physician-based business-run medicine, physician and provider burnouts on the rise. People are retiring earlier because they financially can, but leaving the system without the qualified docs and other providers who have tons of wisdom and knowledge over the years. I'm not noticing an increase in preventative medicine emphasis in general. There's suppression of speech regarding non-traditional approaches of care, what some people call quack medicine monikers, which I find insanity. The vaccines of today would have been called quack if somebody came like Edwin Jenner or uh, the other docs who proposed vaccination. They would have been called quacks today. Yet they ushered in an incredibly powerful tool for us to change. Medicine of the 1990s seemed more pure and thoughtful despite being imperfect. The education was instructive while also being thoughtful. While we did memorize in med school, not the greatest way to do stuff, but we did. We also challenged and were challenged to think critically about each case. The professors that I had at Emory and at University of Virginia were very motivated to make us think. I remember how frustrated one of my professors got when it didn't seem like I was thinking. And really challenged me like, dude, you got to get your stuff together. You need to read more and process and think. And he was right. We need more of that. We need more folks challenging us to be the best versions of ourselves, not settling for, yeah, you memorized a bunch of information and you can take a test. That's garbage. That's some useful, proficient state, but that's not how best providers and best practice is. You need to be thinkers. Unfortunately, I'm finding that thinking is less prized than listening to the rule of the expert who knows. The expert should only be as useful as the best knowledge to date. The youth, the Padawan, often press, uh, present disparate and often unseen views to the master. Bidirectional flow of information should be prioritized over top-down. Listening is the key, but it's bidirectional listening. I love when the medical students that I work with challenge me with questions about the things that I am telling. And I tell them all day long, challenge. If I can't answer it, we've got more work to do. And maybe my answer is incomplete. Maybe the stuff I'm learning is incomplete. And you know what? Since 1992, when I started medical school to now, a lot of stuff I learned then is wrong now. Number five, children remain amazing and resilient even in the face of poor quality food, screen excesses, stress, and the toxic environment. Unfortunately, we may be at a tipping point of disease mitigation as we are seeing ever-increasing frequencies of dysfunction and disease. Keep your eye on the four or five pillars of health. Healthy whole food, diet, sleep, stress reduction, toxin avoidance, and movement. Six, having a child in college and another about to fly the coop leaves one with a very different perspective on family. Being the gardener of love for them from afar is as important as it was at home. Maybe even more so as they spread independent wings fluttering on turbulent winds of life. 
Letting them go is so important. They must fly, no matter how the hurt that one feels for the loss. Let love shine from your heart, not the pain. Feel the pain, but send the love. All of us at some point in time are going to go through this. I am right in the middle of it, about to get my second one out the door coming in May. Not going to be fun, but it is what we do. And in the end, would it be great if they stayed home and lived in our basement playing video games? No. We want them to be explorers, the next best at whatever they're trying to do. Seven. Research continues to pour out that mindsets and mental focus on positivity are routinely useful for health. As a provider, my energy and positive attitude is ground zero for a child's health support. The Stoics were very clear about this reality. Temperance, wisdom, justice, and courage. Memento mori, or amar fati, have profound meaning in a difficult world. Memento mori is remember that you will die. Amor fati is love your fate. These are Latin, right? Why? Because if you know that you're going to die and you love the faded path that you're on, you'll take a chance to love every day a little bit more. Be positive in all things, lest you send a signal to your nervous system and body or somebody else's nervous system or body that you're a victim and are broken. That is a negative spiral, not getting anywhere. Stay on the positive train. Number eight, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, refined flour-based ultra-processed foods are the main source of the metabolic damage to humans. Avoiding them is a great start to a healthy life. Number nine, the SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variant, that is COVID-19, has become significantly less troublesome to children compared to previous variants. This remains fantastic news. And I will keep looking for any changes, but we're a good ways into Omicron, almost two years now. Nothing fancy going on here, folks. Nothing to see. Move along. 10. The science of epigenetics is evolving and will be used to help us make better decisions about what is causing disease at the cellular level. I'm especially interested in the toxicologic aspects of the science. What chemicals are harming our mothers and their children in utero and after birth? I'll be watching the science very carefully. Again, I encourage you to listen to podcast number 58 with Randy Jurdle. He did this number, he was number two in the podcast series. He was right at the beginning. And number 58 is a retread of his new research in the imprintome. Everything about what he teaches is the key to understanding the future of our species. The follow-up 159 with Dr. Schiff talks about nature versus nurture. How does behavior involve in the outcomes of our genes and who we are. Super fascinating. Again, this is the stuff that tells us why identical twins with the same exact genetic code end up dying from different diseases or living different lives. Critical information. Please give yourself the love of Randy Jurdle's knowledge. It's absolutely phenomenal. I barely spoke in the podcast, which again is a testament to how wonderful he is and his knowledge base. All right, moving on to section two. Music is the sound that soothes the savage beast. For years, we have heard that this phrase has been thrown around in response to how to handle frustration or frustrated person, animal, or situation. I am, as everyone knows, a self-proclaimed music lover. I spend a large percentage of my day listening to beautiful sounds that emanate from any speaker that I am near. I am convinced that it not only soothes me, but helps me to untangle the cluttered monkey mind that I have. 
whether at the office at work, in my car at home, the background melody pleases my soul. Interesting enough, my two children share this possession, pleasing me further. I find that it doesn't matter what kind of music it is. It can be hard, heavy rock with drums that are pounding throughout or melodic, quiet, classical music or jazz. doesn't matter. Something about the music really helps to calm me. So that's all fine and good. But what's the science behind the music soothing reality? Is there any? There must be, as there is a whole field of music therapy dedicated to music healing human minds. 2013, a study in the journal Pediatrics noted that NICU babies' heart rates and breathing rhythms calmed and slowed when exposed to live music from music therapists trained to match the music to the infant's rhythms. We likely did not need a study to prove this, as this only seems logical where a child is residing in an intensive care unit would be stressed by the constant drum of beeps and pings and monitors from the 30 infants' machines in the room. I still have bad memories of all these annoying sounds that barrage, the sound barrage that occurred during my days at UVA's NICU when I was up late at nights watching these little premature babies or babies that were super ill trying to heal. Really tricky. That journal article was written by Lowy, L-O-E-W-Y, et al. in 2013 in the journal Pediatrics. From an article by the American Psychological Association, quote, for example, in a meta-analysis of 400 studies, Levitin and his postgraduate research fellow, Mona Lisa Chanda, found that music improves the body's immune system function and reduces stress. Listening to music was also found to be more effective than prescription drugs in reducing anxiety before surgery. That's written by Novotny, N-O-V-O-T-N-Y, et al., 2013, and that's in Trends in Cognitive Sciences. Cardiac patients treated to music therapy have demonstrably increased in parasympathetic vagal tone, which... In the previous newsletter a week ago, we talked about cardiac vagal tone control, CVC. Well, turns out cardiac patients treated to music therapy improve there. Not surprising, just like breath work does. We can start linking all these pieces together. This is such important data as vagal tone is critical to our responses to stress-wise from the environment. When a person is chronically sitting in sympathetic fight-or-flight mode, they're more apt to have poor cellular physiology. If music can reduce this baseline response, then physiology should improve, especially in the cardiac and neurologic spaces. There's a lot more data showing music's benefits on cellular function. Again, from personal experience, nothing soothes me more when I'm anxious than music. Therefore, the data resonates as truth. Why do you think that so many high-performing athletes zone out with music to get in the flow state before a big game, especially now with noise-canceling headphones? When I'm exceedingly emotionally stressed, I tell you what I do is grab my noise-canceling headphones, put them on, and hop on my drum set, and I bang away. I think I get a double whammy of benefit. I get the music that soothes my soul while I'm letting out tons of energy of frustration, banging on some skins that make my drum noise. Makes me happy. I'm grateful to my parents to this day for allowing me to play this instrument that probably tortured them when I was in the beginning and not very good. Another piece of knowledge that how much we give as parents for the love of our children. What is clear to me after researching this growing field is that all humans can benefit from music therapy. Whether led by a certified therapist or your iPhone depends on your need. Extensive research has shown that patients with stroke, 
neurodegenerative and neurobehavior disorders can benefit from directed therapy with a specialist in music therapy. The targeting of the sound to the disease is an art form. Just like having a master to teach you karate, a master music therapist will maximize your end result. The why this occurs is likely related to quantum physics and energy transfer. Certain musical wavelengths will have certain responses. For everyday anxiety, stress, and general life, I recommend a good pair of noise-canceling headphones to keep the volume low and your favorite soul-inspiring tunes high. You can also lay next to your dog, goat, cat, or whatever animal you like and listen to their heartbeat and their breathing and get synchronous with them. I guarantee you, you will calm the frustrated beast inside you. My new dog, Charlie, little man that he is, about nine months old, was abused. But he's the sweetest thing on the planet. When we got him from the woods behind my neighbor's house, he was scared of everything. And now months of living with us and the amount of love my wife has given this dog, Nicole has spent tons of time with him and him sleeping in our bed, which was never allowed for our previous dogs who we love desperately. It's amazing how Charlie has changed. And I think I've changed. My heart and his heart are tied. Love this little pup. That being said, do it your way. I know, I love music. My favorite songs, I'll give you a couple of them. The live version, only the live version. The other one's good too, but the live version of My Immortal by Evanescence. Absolutely soul-inspiring and moving. Unbelievable. Brandenburg Concerto No. 1 by Johann Sebastian Bach. Olivia Rodrigo's new song, Can't Catch Me Now. Alterbridge, again, the live version. Wonderful Life, Watch Over You, the mix. Unbelievable. Saw him live, brought me to tears. Literally, I cried a little bit in the show. Just absolutely mind-blowing. So soul-moving. Orinoco Flow by Enya, a classic. Steady, Stairway to Heaven, Anne and Nancy Wilson version. The heart, the, the, the two ladies who were in the band Heart in the 70s and 80s. They sang Stairway to Heaven, absolutely incredible version. Breathe Me In by Candlebox. Angel Flight by Darden Smith. The Last Goodbye by Billy Boyd. Cold Water by Damien Rice. Another soul-moving song. Precious Things by Tori Amos. And Light My Love by Greta Van Fleet. If you have any songs that you love that are soul-inspiring, send them to me at newsletter. Send it to me at the newsletter at salisburypediatrics.com link. I'd love to hear what songs you like. All right, section three. Winter is in effect in many parts of the country, and we must maintain our eye on all preparation measures for a healthy winter. When I was writing this, I was flying home from Denver, where the cold was already locked in. What are the winter-related concerns for kids? Well, make sure they're getting adequate vitamin D. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, meaning it can store in your fat for a few months, usually three or four. Generally, most people begin to wane in the D levels early in the winter, usually January, around now, when it's very hard to get adequate D from the sun. I recommend daily supplementation based on blood levels. Vitamin D and K combinations are the best based on the current data. Cod liver oil and oily fish are a good source of omega-3 fats and vitamin D. Vitamin D also happens to be very useful for immune enhancement and is protective for COVID-19. To stay warm, but don't sweat the shorts. Kids often underdress in the winter. The rule of thumb for me is that they should bring a coat along in their backpack to be sure that if they get cold, they can add a layer. Alternative, I'm a huge fan of layering your upper body with Under Armour, Stoic, and other clothing for core warmth. I can ski in sub-zero temperatures with three layers of a thin 
uh, Gore-Tex material, excuse me, three layers of thin Under Armour type material and a thin Gore-Tex shell over top. No problems. Gone are the days of the thick sweaters and the thick puffy coats. Don't need them. Outdoor Research is an amazing company that sells amazingly warm gloves for a reasonable price. Steepandcheap.com is where I tend to get my stuff. Three, keep them moving. Cold weather often encourages only indoor sedentary activity like screens. Terrible. Send them out to play with appropriate clothes and get them active. Play with them outdoors to lead by example. Take a weekend hike. Most kids are out of the major sports except basketball and wrestling. Family hikes are a great way to bond and exercise together. You know my favorite ones, Crowder Mountain, Grandfather Mountain, Stone Mountain, DuPont State Park, all great hikes in the Carolinas. Four, drink lots of water, stay hydrated in the dry, arid winter. Hydrating mucous membranes with saline sprays will help prevent infections from taking hold in your nose and mouth. Hydration will also prevent winter nosebleeds. If your child suffers from nosebleeds in the winter, considering applying a thin layer of Vaseline via Q-tip to the first half centimeter of the nostril on either side. This can help protect friable skin. Six, sleep adequately based on age needs. Sleep helps maintain robust immune systems in the winter to fight off the viral infections that are everywhere. Seven, moisturize your primary infection barrier, your skin, to prevent drying and increase portals to infection. It is ideal to apply a moisture like Eucerin within three minutes of drying off after a bath or shower. You may want to do this with multiple times a day if your skin is very dry or erotic. Eat, excuse me, eight, eat pumpkin skins. I mean, <laughs> what a mess. Eight, eat pumpkin seeds, bell peppers, and citrus foods to get zinc and vitamin C necessary for good immune function. Nine, encourage your kids to wash their hands frequently to avoid touching their face. Practicing good hand hygiene and infection prevention can make you happier, winter-free of illness. Remember that hand-washing for 20 seconds is the key to effectively killing pathogen cell walls. 10. Teach them about black ice and how to prevent injuries in the icy wonderland. Head injuries are very troublesome for children that consume large amounts of omega-6 fatty acids that come primarily from processed vegetable oil-based foods. Concussions and brain inflammation are notably worse in poorly nourished children. Taking appropriate doses of omega-3 fats as fish oil can help to counteract this problem. I love the brand Barleens. Reducing processed food consumption will also have dramatic benefit over time by eliminating the pro-inflammatory omega-3 fats. Winter is so good. Let's just be prepared for it. All right, folks. Song of the Week, Joy by George Winston. Awesome, awesome, awesome piano song. That's it. As always, hug those kids. Have a great day. The information provided in this newsletter broadcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. It is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.